good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to USTA Florida's Here to Serve podcast. My name is Laura Bowen, and I'm the executive director at USTA Florida. It's February, and that means Black History Month. And I am so excited to have two very special guests with me today to talk about the history of Black tennis. First up, we have Roxanne Aaron. Roxanne is the president of the American Tennis Association. Thank you for joining us today, Roxanne. Thank you. And joining Roxanne is Deanne Adams. Deanne is the executive director of the American Tennis Association. Thank you, Deanne, for joining us today. Thank you for having us, Laura. I am so excited to have two fabulous women joining me on this podcast today. And um, I wanted to say before we get started, would each of you be open to sharing what your tennis background is and what brought you to the ATA? And Roxanne, if you'd like to start, that would be great. I'll be honored to start, Laura, thank you. Uh, I was uh, came into tennis in college. I was uh, went to all girls historic black college in Greensboro, North Carolina, Bennett College. And uh, part of the, uh, we all had to take gym freshman year. And part of the program was to learn how to play tennis. So uh, that year I had to learn how to play tennis, basketball, field hockey, softball, whole slew of sports that year. And also I went to college and I didn't know how to swim. So I had to learn how to swim. I had to swim before, uh, uh, passing that class. So tennis was one of the sports I really uh, enjoyed and was not a good tennis player. Okay. Was, but I enjoyed the sport anyway. Okay. And when I uh, got married and, and had uh, two sons, I uh, decided to expose them to tennis. And what happened was my oldest son turned out to be a, a, a decent tennis player. Awesome. Uh, in fact, he was uh, good enough to get a scholarship to college to play tennis. And I got, I, I was one of those uh, so-called soccer moms that travel all along, all along going to USTA um, tournaments for him to play tennis. And um, during that time, I got involved with a section of the ATA, uh, the New England Tennis Association in Connecticut okay. and got involved. And soon I was uh, introducing uh, running tournaments for that section and eventually became president of the, of the New England Tennis Association. Awesome. And from there, and from there, I was asked to uh, join the, the ATA National Board as the treasurer. Okay. And from there, uh, I announced it proudly as the president of the ATA. Well, we're proud to have you. In fact, we thank you for all of those roles that you played. <laughs> Tennis has a way of getting you in and then getting you more in and more in, yeah. and you just really can't get away from tennis. Right. right. <laughs> so Deanne, do you want to share your story and what's your background in tennis and how you came to the ATA? Mine is not as impressive as Roxanne, but um, you know, I played tennis recreationally when I was in my 20s. Um, and always went to the US, I'm, I lived in New York, always went to the US Open, just was a, a complete fan of the game. So when I had kids, that was one sport I wanted them all to learn. And my son learned a little bit and played it, but hit, that wasn't really his focus. And my, my youngest child, my daughter would watch him play and one day said to me, you know, I wanna play that sport and um, got fully into it. And so she is my little tennis 
pro to be and um, she comes to the ATA um, and I would just be so amazed of seeing all the kids there and um, you know one day met Roxanne and she told me she needed help and so my background is um, in the philanthropic space and I thought I'd lend my expertise to the ATA and so I joined and um, I've been working with Roxanne since she's become president and it's been an awesome opportunity to be a part of this historic organization. We're grateful to have you both and uh, Deanne my tennis story is less impressive than both of yours so I didn't start playing until <laughs> I joined here and I'm still not a great player but I do love tennis. And I love it for a lot of reasons, mainly because my mother loves it. And she is the reason that I ended up working in tennis. So um, we all have those great stories and the passion. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really grateful that the two of you have really decided to give back to our sport. Yeah. In today's podcast, we're honoring Black History Month. And um, we're really focusing on Black tennis history. You guys have done some amazing work um, honoring the history of black tennis in America. The ATA was founded because the US Lawn Tennis Association, that's USTA, actually banned black participants from our competitions. Could you talk a little about that time in our history and about the individuals who actually came together to form the ATA? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, back then, as you said, the U.S. Um, Lawn and Tennis Association banned um, any person of color from playing in their tournaments. Um, but tennis was a big deal for affluent Blacks, um, doctors and lawyers, especially in the Northeast. There were several clubs. Um, so as early as 1898, you had tennis clubs that had formed in the US and they would play and compete against each other. And they would have these invitational tennis tournaments. And then you had clubs popping up in DC and in Detroit. And then a group of people, you know, decided in 1916, uh, you know, we should start this organization called American Tennis Association, which is open to all people um, and, and have big, big tournaments where we pull everybody together to compete. And so that's been a tradition since 1916. And the first uh, tournament was held in Druid Hill Park in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and, you know, a lot of the founders were doctors and lawyers, um, uh, Dr. William Wright, uh, Henry Freeman, and Tally Holmes, which was one of our very first winners um, of a singles uh, title of uh, the very first 1916 tournament. And even Lucy Diggslow, who is uh, the founder of the AKAs, which is a sorority. Um, and she was also at Howard. She was one of our founders and winners of the women in that first tournament. Um, there was just a, a road uh, that was just renamed uh, for her in honor of her contribution to a lot of things just this past year that Roxanne and I got to do. So, you know, the ATA tournaments in those days was a really big deal. Um, the winners, um, the announcement of the tournament was always in the papers for the uh, 
the, uh, the people of color, the different newspapers that were out there would announce the ATA tournament. You would get 2000 plus spectators to come and watch the tournaments. And, and what was great is that there was a lot of white players that appreciated the tournaments and they would also come and compete to really get a good challenge. And, and then they would leave like, boy, those people can really play tennis, you know? Um, and so one of our executives, actually, he was the executive uh, secretary, he actually worked out an arrangement uh, in like the later parts of like 1940 uh, with the USTA. And that's when they started to open up and say, oh, we would like to have some people of color where anyone who won our national tournament would get a wild card into the open. Um, and so that was something great that happened for a while. Um, and then there was a gentleman called uh, Dr. Walter Johnson, who actually started our junior program. Dr. Johnson was a doctor. He lived in Virginia and had a tennis court in his backyard. And he would have junior players come and practice. And he's the one that really formed Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe. And, and in in their junior years, so you know the ATA has done a lot in shaping great players. Some that we don't even know about, don't hear their names. You know, Bob Ryland and others like that. And one of the things I like to add is that uh, during this period, during that period, even today, it was always a family affair. Mm. And that's what people came to the ATA. They knew there would be a family affair. They knew there would be uh, lots of social events going on. Lots of parties, and uh, early in the early days, we also had uh, golf. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yes, we also there would been there were some tournaments where we had golf. Golf was also a big thing, and people would come to our tournaments, and they would go the uh, the golf route, or they'd go the tennis route, and then they all would get back together for a big, huge social event. That's that's remarkable. And I know the, the times that I've been able to go walk around at the ATA championships here, that's one thing that is so different and so much fun about your events is it's such a family open right. environment that you don't see at many other tournaments in the US and it is so unique and wonder it's a wonderful tribute to the organization the history. And it, I mean, it's something I look forward to every summer when you all do come here to Orlando. We love coming out and seeing all the families having a great time. Well, you know, yeah, we'll, you know we'll be there this year, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the thing that I, um, just to piggyback on what Roxanne said last year because of the pandemic and us not wanting to have crowds for the first time we separated our tournaments and had the adults on a different week than the juniors. And it was just not the same because that is one of the driving reason that our adults come to the tournaments is to see and support our juniors. And our juniors love to see the adults. I mean, we have people in their 80s still playing tennis. And so to see that this can be a lifelong you know, sport that you can play well into your years. It's an awesome thing. Love that. I want to talk about the HBCUs for a little, a little bit. Um, you gave the sort of the history of how things started. And, and I do understand that the HBCUs played a very important role in supporting the players that were coming to the ATA championships at that time. Can you talk a little bit about how the historical black colleges and universities supported the black tennis players and coaches and what you do with them today? Well, the one thing I have to say that uh, in the early days, the uh, tournament uh, was held at private clubs 
and um, parks. But from 1927 to 1968, the HBCUs hosted a tournament, hosted our nationals. And uh, primary reason was because of segregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 players and their families and the other attendees could not stay at hotels. Um, they could not eat in restaurants. They could not um, drink out of water fountains. They could not um, uh, uh, go to uh, uh, restrooms. So the HBCUs opened their doors to the ATA for our nationals. And, 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 and a lot of this was during the summertime when, when the campus was closed anyway. Okay. And they were open the tennis courts and the, and the doors and, and, and our families would stay there on campus. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had quite a few uh, AT, uh, HBCUs that support us. It was Hampton Institute, which is now Hampton University, mm-hmm. Howard University, Lincoln um, University, South Carolina State, Bethune-Cookman University, Tuskegee University, West Virginia State University, Wilberforce, um, Wilberforce University. And they were so great in hospitality that they uh, that they that they gave to us. Uh, Dia, you want to add anything else to that about the HBCUs? Absolutely. I think one of the things that I I love is like you can see um, on this slide here we have um, Romania and Margaret, Pete, and um, uh, they uh, they were the they were sisters, the Peterson sisters, and um, they were recruited by Tuskegee um, uh, in 1937 to attend and play. But they were the first sisters, not Venus and Serena, to be um, awesome tennis stars. And so their nickname was Pete and Repeat because of Romania name. And um, so that's them in the in the center of that. But you know, I think that HBCU tennis continues to be the cornerstone um, of, of, of tennis for kids of color. And we continue to figure out how we can support them and, and work with them now as well. Well, shout out to Bethune-Cookman here, right here in Florida and Daytona Beach. That's right. Yeah, That's right. Well, That's right. Definitely had a chance to work with them a little bit when we were over in Daytona years ago and they have a great tennis program there. So we love love having Bethune Cookman and we love the history here in Florida. So thank you for sharing. Laura, one of the uh, one of the uh, shout outs I want to I want to make we've got Tuskegee. Uh, one of my favorite singers, uh, Lionel Richie. Oh, Lionel Richie went to Tuskegee on a tennis scholarship. Did he really? That's a fun fact. I did started, not know that. Yeah, he started, Lionel Richie started off in singing before he be, uh, came what, to the Commodores. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a he was a he was a tennis player, and um, I would love to get Lionel Richie involved uh, with the ATA because of that was his roots in um, uh, to tennis. Well, maybe he just needs to see this podcast and then come to the ATA right. championships right. this year. That's we'll right. have a spot for him. We'll take care of Lionel if he comes down. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think you alluded to this earlier, Dia, but I wanted to ask you how and when were we really able to embrace great champions like Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe on the world tennis stage? And what impact did their success have on the ATA and its work? Well, what I would say is, you know, they are the people that most people know about. And before them, you know, there were people who laid the groundwork 
for them to become the champions that they are today. I think for me, Althea was really the trailblazer and she gets so little recognition than she really deserves. Most people don't even know her name. Um, when I talk to people here, even parents who kids are in tennis and I talk about Althea Gibson, they have no clue who I'm talking about and her contributions to the sport. And for me, I think, you know, one of the things that resonate is having a daughter um, I introduced her to Althea at a very young age and she was just enamored with her and became her hero, her shiro. She would all the time for Black History Month for school, that's who she would write about, just to educate people about all the things that she had to fight through to become the star that she is today. I don't think many people could have done what Althea did. I mean, you have to think about this woman couldn't play on the tennis courts during the daytime. So she'd have to wait till nighttime to play. And there were no lights on the tennis courts back then. So she literally had to memorize the lines to know if her ball was in, but you see that helped her because that's why she was such an awesome player. She stayed in the lines. She knew where those lines were and she wasn't going to go outside of it. So I think for her, you know, she won her first ATA women's title, not juniors title, women's title at the age of 15. And then continued to win for 10 years. Right. Um, until she got into play uh, at the US Open in 1950. And then Arthur Ashe, you know, here's this amazing man, athlete, who ends up winning, you know, three Grand Slam titles, you know, first Black player to be on uh, a Davis Cup team. But I think that one of the things that Arthur Ashe has done to champion tennis and leave a legacy is starting the NJTL program. And now you have these programs all over the country fostering tennis um, for kids in, uh, you know, underrepresented community and other communities. And what I like about the component of the program is that there's education involved. It's not just about tennis, it's about building the whole person through education and tennis. And, you know, more of these programs need to happen because, you know, there are studies that show that kids who play tennis, you know, not only do they stay off the street, but most of them graduate college. And, um, and more than any other sport, you find a higher percentage of graduation rate in tennis players than any other sport. And, you know, um, Deanne, what I would like to add about um, Althea Gibson and, um, Arthur Ashe, they were the right two tennis players for the time. Mm -hmm. They approached the game with grace and dignity. And many times where Althea Gibson walked out on the court, walked out there to play, she got booze and um, she was called names, but she, she didn't let that deter her. She just went out to play a game. And we needed those two, and I'll have to ask the same. We needed those two to be the forerunners for our players today. And oddly enough, Roxanne, Arthur Ashe got boost from his own people. Right. They thought he was a traitor playing a white sport. Why right. is a black man playing tennis? You want to be white? I mean, they really gave him a hard right. time. Um, you know, so I've heard stories of when he was in uh, South Africa or something and someone right. was threatening him because they didn't like the fact that he was doing that. So it's and, interesting. Right. And Arthur Ashe also played a big part in the civil rights movement um, back in the, in, the, in the 60s. He joined the civil rights movement and marched 
and really showed uh, that there was a need for equal, um, equal rights in America. What they both did for equality, uh, right. I think it's amazing. And didn't Althea also become a golf champion as well? Yes, she did. Yeah. Nice little fun fact about Althea as well. She's an awesome jazz singer. And if you ever get a chance to look on YouTube, right. her song is out there and she could really sing. That's amazing. And, and I'm so grateful that we finally, we finally have a statue honoring her. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, at the National Tennis Center in New York. That was long overdue and it's a beautiful piece um, to honor her and obviously right there uh, with Arthur Ashe Stadium's mm -hmm. Um Okay, so let's talk about some of your favorite moments in Black tennis history. So we talked about Athea and Arthur Ashe. So, uh, who would like to share some of their favorite moments in black tennis history? Um, you want to go, you want to go first, Roxanne? Well, you, go first. you go first. Okay. Um, so, you know, yeah, we talked about Althea and Arthur and, you know, those are definitely um, some of my favorite mo moments. And there are other people like, you know, Bob Ryland and different people like that, that I think just really set the tone and built the pavement for others to come along and made it possible for us to have Venus and Serena. But I think when you think about modern day favorite moments, I think just them and how long they have been such a, a force in tennis um, and just you know, someone that everyone can look up to. Um, we talked about the Peterson sister, but then it was Ora Washington. And of course, Katrina Adams becoming um, the uh, first president of the USTA. And then awesome players like Leslie Allen and Zena Garrison, which they helped build for people that came now in our recent ones, like Naomi and Madison and Sloan and Coco. Um, so it's like Black women have really been the trailblazers in modern day history of really driving tennis. And um, would love to see more men doing that. But when you think of tennis, you, these women are just shattering the ceiling um, when it comes to that. And you, and even though we don't have her here, and I was looking at it, we miss her, but um, um, Deanne mentioned her name, Lucy Diggs Slow. Mm -hmm. who, who won our first tournament uh, in um, 1917 and who was a, 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 a graduate of Howard. And also she was the first woman to become a dean of a college. Wow. Okay, back in the day. Wow. Okay. First woman in the United States to become a dean of a college. So, and um, I also like to recognize Katrina Adams. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that uh, the role that she has played to let you know by becoming the first black to become the a CEO and president of the USTA, I think that's very much an accomplishment. And I think she was the first one. You might can um, tell me about this, Laura. Didn't she serve two terms? She did. She served four years in that position. Actually, I'm you, you just sitting over there, but she just the way that she approached the position, uh, the values that she brought. Uh, her focus on diverse communities. You know, right. I've only been here for 11 years, but I think that might have been the first time that USTA really did elevate the idea that we need to be more inclusive and do more outreach. I think um, reaching out to the Hispanic community was one of her major initiatives, which was super important for us here in Florida. But she's done some 
amazing work and remains uh, a very strong voice in leadership at the organization. And I'm very grateful to her for her continued service. Like, you know, even after she uh, she left her term, I know she's very involved with the ITF and with right, other right, issues right. and inclusion for women. So it's a, a true blessing to have Katrina as part of I, our organization. And I think under her, I think the whole thing, I think the whole concept of wheelchair tennis Mm -hmm. And um, that came about as far as that. And um, what has, and, and what I like to mention now is with the ATA, I, we're looking, really looking at being diverse, because diversity is not all about color all the time. Right. Um, and uh, we joined forces with loving um, autism. Yeah. Right there in Florida this year, because we, look we, we looked at um, autism yeah. and how many black children that are misdiagnosed um, at a um, young age, they're not diagnosed um, with and with autism, and this has been really a, a important role for us to play in that partnership. Yeah, and I I'm so grateful that you all are working with Love Serving Autism. Lisa is you know just a phenomenal woman in her own oh, right. She is. Um, and her ability and capacity to give is is off the charts and. Um, I, I just applaud every organization that is really focusing on, you know, not, not the one or 2% of athletes, you know, right. it's really saying, Hey, we're open to everyone, you know, regardless right. of ability, regardless of demographic, regardless of, you know, where you come from or what you bring in. So thank you for mentioning Lisa and for working, oh, working definitely. alongside her. She's and, a gem. And you know, you know, she came to, uh, she was at our nationals this past year. Mm -hmm. She brought her kids to our nationals, which was so, so wonderful. And uh, Dan, you want to share because we, I think we had we had some of our kids play with her kids, play tennis with her kids. You know, like a mock tournament, mm -hmm. and we had um, kids that were in our tournament play kids that were in her tournament, and they became double partners and um, played against each other. So you had a kid without autism and then a kid with autism as a partner playing against the same. And it was just awesome um, because we just wanna, it's all about, you know, equality and, and learning and understanding. And so that was, um, that was just really awesome. Um, and the other thing I wanna say is that, you know, for us, the ATA is all people like that's why we use the word American and so while you know we have a lot of people of color you know that are were in the organization we have a huge Hispanic contingency um, that is with us we have a, a section that's even in Puerto Rico and um, they come every year to our tournament and participate and have some awesome children that really just come ready to uh, win, win, win. And we also, um, Dominican Republic, Jamaican, mm -hmm. Jamaica and, and all through the Virgin Islands, we have uh, those attendees that normally come to our, our nationals every year. Excellent. Well, that's perfect for Florida. You know, we, we have people from oh, all over right. here, so. You know, we can't wait to have you guys come back, obviously, and uh, have everyone out there. And of course, we're always happy to help and, and add whatever support we can. Right. I do want to ask both of you, when you look at the state of Black tennis play today, what successes do you see and what barriers do you think are still there that we need to break? Well, what I, what, I'll probably start off this conversation. Uh, and I think Deanne, when we talk about 
uh, the first thing, the role um, black women, how many black women are in the uh, in this game of tennis? That's very exciting. How many young girls? And I think uh, what uh, when the Williams sisters came about, they opened the doors up to not just black girls, but all girls um, uh, about uh, playing tennis. That this is a game that you can really seriously take over and play. And um, I, I think that's been very important. One of the things that I would like to see is I would like to find a way that, uh, that we can engage more boys of color to play games. Uh, so often they wanna play basketball or football and, and we have not found the message. And I would like to, I would like, to, I think that's something important that I would like to work on in the future. What is that message that we can, we can come up with to let them know that tennis is, tennis is, a, is, a, is a good sport and how you can succeed in tennis. And not everyone is going to uh, go out there and be a rock star in tennis, but there are all, there's so many doors that you can go into um, by playing tennis. Such a good point. Yeah, you know, when you look at some of some of the tennis players that are out there now, um, like even uh, Nick Curios, he used to be a, black, a basketball player before he became a tennis player. And you have these kids that are, you know, trying to become this basketball player, and they're sitting on the bench because they're not the great basketball player. It's like, how do we tap into those kids to say, hey, listen, there's this other sport that you could probably be exceptional on and succeed in just because of your athleticism. And I think it starts though with introducing tennis at an early age. It's not something that is like a you know, sport that's offered in school. You know, you don't go to elementary school and they say, we're going to teach you how to play tennis. They teach you how to play soccer, maybe a little baseball, definitely basketball, but they never introduces the uh, tennis. Um, and then the media, the media doesn't really embrace tennis. You know, I looked at what happened this past year in, uh, at the Australia Open with Rafa Nadal getting his 21st win of a Grand Slam and hardly any of the US media carried it. I was expecting the Today Show to open with it after all that went through with the whole vaccine issue that they would even come back and say, this guy won and he got number 21, nothing, nada. I was actually gonna send him an email cause I was that upset. But I was like, this is the problem. You know, kids don't see it in the media. It's not important. I don't wanna be a part of it. But really, I agree with um, Roxanne. As you can see from this slide, we've got so many women. And yet, yes, there are a few um, guys that are out there, Tia Fole and, uh, and Chris Eubanks and others, but we really need to get this more of a mainstream thing for the boys to step up and say, this is gonna be the sport that I wanna do. And we see it in our tournament. So I do think the tide may be coming. There are a couple of boys that won our tournament this past year that wanna go pro. Um, and and they, they were just exceptional players. Because you know, um, from um, the data that I have is on um, in the United States and on 6.8% of black tennis players in the United States, 6.8%. And that's a low number. So we would like to see that number um, increase, definitely increase. I think you both, you know, touched on something really important in watching the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, obviously we saw Billie Jean King and we saw Serena in the Michelob Ultra ad. And you see women's faces there. And we have such incredible women as role models that, you know, say, oh, this is such a great sport for us. And I see myself in it. But on the male side, I think Nick Curios made some really important points at the Australian Open is sort of how we portray tennis 
Um, it's not as appealing as other sports in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, what, you know, love him or hate him, you know, Nick's image and the, the fun and the attitude that he brings across is appealing to a lot of people. And so I think figuring out how do we make tennis more attractive, you know, to male athletes is, is definitely a key challenge that we haven't quite figured out yet. Yeah. You know, the, and, um, and, and Roxanne and I have been trying to come up with ideas of how to do that because I have a son who used to play tennis with my daughter. Um, are you guys still hearing me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so I have a son that used to play tennis with my daughter, a younger son. And as he got older, he stopped because he said he didn't want his friends at school to tease him mm. that they would tease him if they knew he was playing tennis. Um, Cause boys like him they don't play tennis they play basketball or football and it was really hurtful because I you know I really wanted him he was such an, a really good tennis player he had an awesome serve and you know he just gave it up you know um so if there is a way to just um make tennis seem cool and and I agree with you Laura you know love Nick or hate Nick that's the one thing I came away with even when he walked on the court with his basketball shoes and changed into his tennis shoes there's a message there, like he will reach a young boy to say, hey, listen, you might not like these ugly tennis shoes. Okay, fine. Wear your basketball shoes and then change into them because now you're ready to work. You know, sometimes his attitude and the way he treats officials, I don't really particularly care about, but he really has fun. I love Monfils because his attitude about tennis, the fun, he's so graceful. I wish we could just wrap him up in a bow and make him the face of tennis. He's just so cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, you know, so we have to figure out a way to do something. Yeah, and I, and I think you two are, are sort of also right, Roxanne, you touched on that the tide may be turning a little bit, and I think we may be seeing some, you know, young men of color coming in and actually, you know, becoming the face of tennis and really demonstrating that this is a sport where, you know, people of all backgrounds can excel, maybe be role models to the next generation. So I'm hoping that we see that in the next few years, but um, we'll keep chipping away at it and see what we can do together for sure. Yeah, you know, there's one thing that Richard Williams said in his movie, it was watching a tennis tournament and seeing how much that person made in that day, you know, so, you know, that person walked away with 30,000 or whatever it was, it wasn't even a, a open and he was just floored, like really one tennis game, you walked away with that amount of money. So, you know, yeah, it's a it's such an interesting point and tennis is such an international sport that you know really role models can come from all different places you mentioned Nadal obviously Federer so to see you know young men coming up from all different countries is also something magical for us to start you know looking at and and uh, and really highlighting more I think showing more of that I do want to ask uh, you a more specific question in terms of support so what do you think USTA and USTA Florida, meaning our, our players, our staff, our coaches, do to address some of the barriers we talked about and further improve racial equality in our sport? Uh, let me, uh, I, I have to say thank you. Let me step, first say thank you for last year. Uh, USTA Foundation, uh, USTA Foundation, uh, and USTA Florida really supported us last year for our nationals. 
Um, and then because of your support, we had a successful national, um, national. we had over 360 um, junior players and 200 and whatever, 70, whatever, it ended up to be about 700 players wow. at our nationals last year uh, because of your support. But uh, what the USTA Florida did last year, which I hope that you would continue doing what USTA Foundation did last year, USTA Foundation um, sponsored through the NJTLs. Um, and I don't know how many, how many juniors were, was it 30 or 40 juniors total? The foundation gave $500 um, to support each a player to come to our nationals per player. And that was wonderful. And uh, to get those kids from the from the NJTFs just to come to to Orlando to play, and um, and and what you did as a uh, as an organization uh, to help us with officials and and just to make sure that, the, that everyone has a well rounded experience. And I think that's that's really key when you have those kind of partnerships. And we are also looking at the USTA, and uh, we had a meeting today to look at the USTA supporting um, HBCUs tennis programs. Okay. Because uh, our, H our HBCUs, some of our HBCUs are struggling because um, it's football and basketball that makes the money for the, for the universities and the colleges, not tennis. Tennis is, is not revenue generated. Mm -hmm. So we had a beautiful conversation this morning about how do we uh, uh, support HBCU tennis. Okay. Uh, Deanne, you probably want to add to that uh, about. Yeah, I, I just wanted to just, you know, echo your statements about USTA Florida support last year, because without them, I don't think we could have had the success. The thing that we did that was so different is the first time we had um, an L5 tournament. Oh, yes. Sanctioned so right. before that, it was unsanctioned. And, um, you know, and so having this L5 allowed us to attract really good talent. That's and right. your group gave us leadership and support in making sure we dotted the I's and crossed the T's as the first time offering a sanctioned L5 tournament. And it went off without a hitch. I mean, we had kids from all over participate in this and it was just an amazing amazing tournament so again what would um there were uh, three or four boys that were from um i'm trying i'm trying to think what country they were from um they they weren't from um switzerland they were um and i'll think about it in a minute they were here for they were here for the um uh, to go to orlando yeah to, um, yeah to disney world mm -hmm. And they decided to sign up for the play, play our tournament while they were here. And that's one of the great things about now that the tournament structure in USTA is unified, right? People right. come to play. If it's an open, they can come from anywhere right. across the country to play. So it was a great, it, we hadn't done it before, but I, I was really curious to see how it would turn out. And we got so much interest because of your event. So it was this right. wonderful symbiotic relationship where it was like, People wanted the sanctioned event, and then you were able to draw people in from a broader network than maybe normally attract, and it ended up being magical. So I loved it. Yeah, and there were some people who popped into it and like, "What? What did we come into? This doesn't quite seem like our regular tournament because there was just so much going on. You know, we offer seminars for parents and kids, and and we really try to support 
you know, and help, um, because one of the things that I think, you know, is lacking is just education on how to help your child and groom your child. And, you know, that's one of the things that we try to provide, but you guys were just, I can't echo enough what Roxanne said about your support. We could not, and it wasn't just monetary, it was staff, it was assistance in setting logistics. It was just everything and really helping us shape what we ended up having. And our tournament, we call it the national championships, but it's really like, I don't know, four to five tournaments in one. We've got the junior tournament and then we've got an open um, where, you know, and most of our older juniors played in the open and beat adults. Um, and then we have our adult tournament and then we have an NTRP tournament and we had a 10 and under tournament. So there was a lot going on at an ATA national championship. Um, and so everyone can come and find their little happiness, I guess, in tennis there. And we're hoping this year, we're hoping this year, we haven't finalized, but I'm gonna throw it out there anyway. We're hoping this year for our open um, that uh, we have, the, uh, we, we have so uh, phenomenal players that play in our Open that we're hoping this year that uh, we can, um, the USTA, uh, we can offer a wild card mm. to one of, the, um, one of the, uh, the money tournaments of the USTA. Yeah. To, our play, to, um, to, the, to uh, the top player that wins the, uh, uh, the men and women Open. That would be exciting. That Wouldn't would that be exciting? Yes, yes. So I'm, I'm in that, favor. I don't make those decisions, but whoever's listening that does, I'm in favor. <laughs> so that'll be that would be so wonderful because it'll draw a lot of HBCU players, some of our top players from all over the country. Um, so we're working on that to hope um, for our tournament, our nationals this year. Well, you put it out into the universe now. I sure did. There we go. Yes, That's pressure, pressure on the, the powers. <laughs> yeah, and usually at our tournaments, like I said, we have the seminars, we have a junior day. We try to get the kids to speak to each other. So for most of these kids of color, when they go to a tournament, they're usually the only one. When they come to our tournament, they get to see other kids who look like them. Um, and again, it's a family style thing. And it's just a more comfortable situation. They go, oh wait, I'm not this outlier. There are a lot of people who play tennis that look different and act different. They get to see, you know, love serving autism and see that all the special things that they do. Um, you know, Brittany was there and she's, uh, you know, um, a special Olympics winner and she's just awesome. She can beat the tail off of anybody, you know? Um, and so- <laughs> <She> often does. <laughs> See her hit. I was like, whoa, you know, my daughter was, um, you know, she's 15 and we had her volunteer for the 10 and under. She was just blown away of the talent. She's like, oh my God, these kids serve better than me. You know, it was just to see what is coming up. It's, it's oh, I just can't speak enough about how wonderful the tournament is. It's a, a must see stop by for anybody who loves tennis. And, you know, Coco Goff played our tournament. Uh, and one, there's been so many, you know, Sasha Vickery, there's been so many kids that came through, you know, Leslie Allen, you know, all of those people, they played in our tournament, Katrina Adams, they played in our tournaments. And so it really builds. I like to watch the kids who are playing and say, I know I'm going to see that person on TV one day, just because um, uh, you saw Claire V, who's with, who just won uh, the Australian Open in doubles. She played the ATA tournament as well. So just a lot. 
like that. You guys have, have a great history of, of obviously uh, building champions, but also building inclusion in families. And I, I can't say enough about what a joy it was for us to be able to partner with you more last year. And our staff truly enjoyed it. They, they are the ones that really dove in and provided, you know, all the support and assistance. And I know that it was one of those things where everybody's like, what are you working on? Oh, we want to do that. We want to do that. So you, you have a, a really great group here who is very eager to help and to do more this year. So please don't hesitate to, to uh, chat with Ronald, chat with me, tell me what you need and, and we'll kind of be out there. And I know we have a lot of volunteers who would love to help as well. Well, we'll definitely take you up on that, right, Roxanne? <laughs> <laughs> no one wants me playing in your event, but I'm happy to help anything else. That's right, no shame. <laughs> okay, my last question. Um, I love the mission that the ATA has. Um, and I want to ask you to share, maybe each of you could share how we can continue to support ATA and its mission of uniting communities through the love of tennis. I love that mission. So what more can we all do to support your mission? Deanne, you want to answer that one? And then I'll chime in. Sure. So for me, you know, it's all about the juniors. We want to build the next generation of champions or help them to get to whatever level. It doesn't have to be pro. It could be college or it could just be that they want to work in the arena. Um, so we have a fund for our juniors called the Heroes Fund, where we support players um, through scholarships, equipment. Um, they can't afford their sneakers or new rackets. They'll reach out to us. Their coach will reach out and say, can you help? I have a great player here, but they need more stuff. Um, assistance with training. We've offered scholarships to help kids pay. Uh, we have a kid who just got admitted into one of the really high performance um, academies in Florida. Um, his family moved from North Carolina to Florida to make that happen for him. And we helped with some of that. So, you know, we are collecting money to really help and, and push it into the kids who need it the most. And then of course, you know, we just talked about our national championship. So we're always looking for help with that. We, um, on our, on our year where it's not COVID, we not only have the tournament, but we try to have events for the kids every day um, to just let loose let their hair hang down, you know, come down from the tennis, get to know each other. So um, help with that is always welcomed. Go ahead, Roxanne. And uh, when we talk about uh, equipment, um, tennis is such an, an expensive um, sport. You already know that. It's very expensive. And uh, what, what I've seen is there are quite a few uh, our players that are being raised by um, relatives like grandparents and aunts and uncles. And they don't have the funds to buy them the right kind of tennis racket, uh, the, make sure they're the right kind of sneakers, or that they can travel and take them to a, a USTA or an ATA tournament. So we we um, this is one of the things that uh, Dean and I are really passionate about, uh, making sure that we have X amount of funds set aside so that when we find out that there's a um, that a parent, a grandmother in need that uh, that needs a, just a racket. Yeah. or a pair of sneakers, or um, a coach, can't pay this coach for tennis lessons, and this kid needs tennis lessons. We want to be, the ATAs want to be there to, to help that kid, help that family. And also, uh, we want to be a, a uh, organization that you can call 
or email. Uh, what we find now is that when um, parents, we want to be the resource, really do something for us being a resource. Sometimes we have calls to say, okay, I'm moving to, um, I'm moving to Orlando. I'm trying to find a tennis, um, uh, I'm trying to find a coach in Orlando. And sometimes I've picked up the phone and called Martin Blackman mm -hmm. at the USTA. And I said, Martin, we got a family moving to Orlando. Um, uh, the mother's trying to find a tennis coach. And that partnership has been really helpful for him to say, oh, I know this person, I know this person, you contact that person. Or uh, someone's moving to Dallas. And we uh, we contacted USTA, so we get, we were trying to figure out we got someone moving to Dallas. Do you know any tennis coaches or NJTL that we can um, um, link this family to? Oh, that's great! And you know, certainly call us anytime, and we're happy to okay, have definitely wonderful humans all over the state of Florida that we'd be happy to connect any family to. And uh, we have we also have fantastic NJTLs here. I'm sure you guys know with First Serve Miami, Foundation, Aces Emotion. Um, we have a great group of humans here that, you know, really, really do some wonderful work. So awesome. Well, ladies, it's been a wonderful discussion. I cannot thank you enough. I've learned so much from listening to you today, and I appreciate all of the information that you've shared and all that you do to help serve this wonderful sport across the U.S. It's just been a real joy, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. For those of you who are listening to the audio-only version of this podcast, be sure to visit USTA Florida's Facebook page or Instagram account where you can check out the full video version. And of course, for all information on the Here to Serve podcast, including the slides from today's presentation and additional information from the ATA, visit ustaflorida.com slash here to serve. Thank you for tuning in and have a wonderful day.